Good morning. Will you guys stand with us, please? this with us. Your love so great, Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years. Still I'll be singing. How can I praise you enough? How can I praise you enough? The Lord Almighty, outshining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, nothing else compares. Creation calls all to the Savior. We are alive. Shining all the stars in the 
that you are The treasure I'll find To know what you're like
when I've been the fool and I hid from you you still called out my name and when my flesh is weak will you help me see that you're all that I need oh Jesus you are all that I need right now if you just take this time just to call out to him just close your eyes if you feel like you need to raise your hands come down to the front and pray just right where you are, just call out to Him and ask Him to help you have a heart abandoned to Him only. Just worship Him right now. God, we just love you. Thank you for who you are. We praise you, Lord. God, we deserve nothing. Thank you for giving us life. We worship you. abandoned to you. God, we love you so much and we thank you for this day. We thank you for those that are here, God. I pray that you open our hearts, open our minds. And as Scott brings the message, Lord, just pierce our hearts so that we leave here closer to you. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, I'm Lamar Pearl and this is my wife, Crystal Neal Pearl. It's obvious to us that Springwell's, or one of Springwell's vision is to just love people where they are, and that just impacts us, and we try to do that in our daily life. Um, we love how Springwell's um, just a living example of being the hands and feet of God. 
It's also taught our kids to love and have a relationship with God and just get to know Him. So it's been a huge impact, I would say, on our life. I have uh, been serving for six years on the traffic team. Uh, Scott personally came and asked me <laughs> what I, uh, I serve, and I was like, eh. <laughs> kind of hesitant at first, but uh, <clears throat> I'm glad I did. Uh, I, I enjoyed I enjoy to see people come in and you know just to see my smile face might be the first smile face they've seen for today. Our son and I have been coming to Springwell almost 13 years and I came to Springwell as a single mom. When we started dating, him being the gentleman that he is, he started coming to Springwell with us and he's gotten to know a lot of people and it just feels natural being here. Um, as I said, I started coming about 13 years ago. And as an adult, I've always served in children's ministry. So it just felt right to serve in children's ministry here. And the minute those little innocent sweet faces start walking through the door and giving me hugs, I feel honored to have the opportunity to share the love of God and just teach them that God is their forever friend. We have a joint growth group, and, and it's it's been rewarding. We have bond with each other, and we're able to lean on one another, and you know, just feel that love. I know it's just an awesome place to be. Um, it's where we want to continue to grow as a family and just love each other, and even though. When we come, there aren't a lot of faces that look like ours. Um, it's not an issue. Um, we don't feel like outsiders. We, we feel like we belong and we're loved. And, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Can you help me thank Lamont and Crystal for sharing their story with us this morning? Thank you for giving each week to the ministry of Springwell Church. We pray that this church will be a place where lives are changed and where people matter. So when you give faithfully, these stories are possible. So if you're visiting with us today, we ask that you don't feel obligated to give in our offering, but that our worship time will be a gift to you. And if you're a regular attendee, you know that we have several ways that you can give. One is through the kiosk in the lobby. The other is by texting the number that will soon be on the screen. And then last, you may give as the bucket passes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, you do have our attention. And we pray and we ask you to be with us today, Lord. Open our hearts so that we may hear you. In your name I pray, amen. If you're sitting to the left of the row, if you would, please take that bucket and pass it to your right as this time.
Good morning. Hey, y'all. Um, what y'all want to do? Uh, turn to the person beside you and behind you and in front of you and say, man, I'm glad you're here. Sweet. So let me ask you this question. What type of a mental image pops in your mind when you think about Jesus? What type of mental image pops in your mind when you think about Jesus? Maybe, you know what, maybe you know, you're a child of the 70s. <laughs> that used to sound young. It doesn't sound young anymore. You know, maybe, maybe that mental image of Jesus might be kind of the hippie type. You know what I'm talking about? He had the long robe, you know, long hair. And, and I used to kind of picture Jesus that maybe had the peace sign, you know, necklace. Listen, that's just kind of what pop, would pop into my head. And I would see Jesus like Jesus would be in peace. Like he was all about peace, right? So I would think, you know, Jesus, peace. And, and so I would think of Jesus, and I would think I was kind of taught that growing up, that he was more of a meek, mild, soft-spoken kind of guy, you know? Um, maybe, maybe you have a different image. Um, maybe, you know, you haven't been around church a whole lot. So maybe when you think about Jesus, you think about one of those TV guys, you know? So, you know, maybe that's your image because maybe that's all you really know. You haven't really been to church. You don't know a whole lot about God. And so maybe when you think about Jesus, you think about one of those guys on TV preaching to these big, huge crowds and, and saying all these things that kind of draws in the crowd, you know, right? To get, to get their money, <laughs> Well, that's what I think of. I don't know what you think of. Most of the time, that's kind of what I think of. Well, let me just tell you, um, Jesus was anything but meek and weak. He was anything but meek and weak. And while he certainly did preach to huge crowds, he was far from the TV televangelist type. In fact, Jesus said some things. He really did. Jesus said some things, and you would think, whoa. I can't, I, I can't believe you said that. In fact, in fact, just to be honest with you, and a lot of people in Jesus' day when he would, he would say certain things would say, you know what, honestly, I can't believe you said that. That is just, that's harsh. In fact, Jesus actually made statements that cut the size of the crowd, not built the size of the crowd up. And so when you think about that, you don't really think about Jesus because, again, most of our mental image has to do with, you know, maybe people that stand up on a Sunday morning. It's a talking head. It's where we get that mental image of Jesus was that, you know, Jesus was doing everything he could to draw the crowds, right? He was working miracles, and he would draw the crowds in. And Jesus did all of that. But then Jesus would say the kinds of things that would stop you dead in your tracks and think, man, really? I don't, I don't know. If, like, if you're trying to really draw a crowd, I'm not sure that's the statement that I would have made, I think that Jesus would have absolutely driven the church growth experts crazy. And I think that there would probably be some of those Monday morning meetings with Jesus where they would probably say, no, look, stop that. Don't do that. I mean, you're, you're hurting the cause. And, and I know you have, you know, good intentions maybe, but you're hurting the cause. And this is something that's got to, you know, go on for, for hundreds and thousands of years. And so we're trying to lay a solid foundation here. Stop that. Stop it. 
You're not building the crowd, you're tearing the crowd down. So for the next few weeks, what we want to do is actually look at a few of those in your face. I can't believe he said that kinds of statements. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And let me just say right off, uh, right out of the gate, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus doesn't have any authority over you because you haven't given him any authority over you. So I don't want you to feel like today, you know, you come to church and our jobs as pastors is to make you feel guilty. <laughs> like, that's my job. Like, if you don't leave church feeling like I just beat the snot out of you with the Bible, I mean, really? <laughs> like, am I really doing my job? Of course I am. But here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you haven't given Jesus any authority over your life, so I, what I don't want you to feel like this morning is that I'm trying to make you do something that you don't want to do. Hey, you're a free agent, you know? You can do whatever you want to do. However, if you are a follower of Jesus, you got to do it. What we're going to talk about today, you got to do it. And you're thinking, why? Why do I have to do what you say? Because you're a follower of Jesus. Come on, come on, come on, let, me, let me reel you in. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you would just follow Jesus, right? And following Jesus means that you just do what he would say to do. Because the whole point of following Jesus is to be like Jesus. Walk like he walked, talk like he talked, right? And to say no probably just means trouble. Because rebellion is just never a good thing. It's just not. I, one of the things that I taught my kids, you're going to make mistakes, right? Everybody makes mistakes. I never, I never uh, disciplined my children because they made a mistake. You discipline your kids when they're rebellious. And so, you know, you just know that rebellion is just not a really good thing. It's never good. But, if, you know, if this will make you feel better, a lot of Christians don't really do what Jesus asked them to do either. So maybe you're like in the majority. <laughs> Does that make you feel better? So you probably, you know, you're living your life your way, doing your own thing, not really paying a whole lot of attention to the words of Jesus. And, and if, if it makes you feel better, you're, you're probably, you know, you're in the majority, but it's kind of like being on the Titanic. Boy, y'all are quiet. It's kind of like being on the Titanic. You, you know, being on board with a lot of people on a sinking ship may not be a safe place to be. Are y'all nervous? It's okay. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 6. So one day Jesus is teaching, and here's what he says. No one, absolutely no one, you know what no one means in the Greek? No one. You're right, that's exactly what it means. No one can serve two masters. And, and so maybe you're thinking, who are you? Ain't nobody going to be the boss of me. I'm my own boss, Right? Well, this little Greek word that's translated uh, masters doesn't mean boss. It, it means master. Yeah, that's what it means. Sometimes we make things so complicated. And this is someone who owns somebody, and so he's talking about slavery. And slavery, by definition, means single ownership. That's, that's what it means. And so he's saying, that's what Jesus is saying. You can only be owned or be in the possession of one person or one thing. Does that make sense? Jesus said, listen, no one can be, no one can serve two masters. You're going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. And so here's what he said. We would expect, because it's Jesus. And so what we would expect Jesus to say, and maybe I'm just talking about what I would expect Jesus to say, especially back in the day. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or Satan. Right? Wouldn't that make sense? 
Because isn't that like the end of the day, it's kind of like what we're thinking about. You know, you're going to serve God or you're going to serve Satan. If you're not serving God, you're serving Satan and vice versa. But that's, that's not what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And if you're like, this is your first day to like church, you know, you decided this week, I haven't ever been to church, I think I'll go today. You're thinking, great, what a day to show up to church, you know. He's talking about money and slavery, all in the same message. Like, wow, that's a bad day to go to church. Well, if this will make you feel any better, the Greek word money can actually mean stuff. So you can't serve, you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God, and you're stuffed. Does, it, does that help? Does that make you feel any better? And believe it or not, here's a really important point um, that you need to understand about this passage. Because oftentimes, when we go to this passage, we'll end up talking about money. But here's the deal. Really, the primary purpose of this passage, the words of Jesus, are really, the focus is not money. And that's why I think it's important that you understand that it could be translated money or it could be translated stuff because the primary issue is mastery. Does that make you feel better? It's, it's mastery, it's control, it's ownership. And so the question that Jesus is actually asking in this passage, do you have your money or does your money have you? Do you own your possessions or do your possessions, does your stuff own you? And the reason followers of Jesus for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus need to answer that question is because that your money or your possessions and what they promise is often the chief competitor for our heart. That's what we're struggling with every day. That's the battle that's raging inside of us every single day. And so, you know, you may think that uh, that new car, that new house is kind of going to push you over the you know, the, it's going to put you up the social ladder with your friends. And so it's what that promises, right? It's, it's what having that new car promises. And when you pull up and your friends go, dude, that's awesome. Maybe, maybe, maybe your friends would even say, did you get a raise? Like, did you get a big whopping raise? I mean, like, was this your bonus or something? I mean, like, wow, that is so cool. Or when people ask you where you live, and you take that stance, you know what I'm talking about, like Karen does with me sometimes, and you, and you put your hands up on your hip, I live in, and then you name that particular subdivision. And, and as soon as you say the name of that subdivision, your friends go, oh, wow. So like, you're rich. I mean, that's what they think, right? They don't always say it, but that's exactly what they think because it's the promise that that possession made. If you own me, if you drive me, if you live over here, then you're going to get to climb the social ladder. And your friends are going to think you're really, really cool. Or, or maybe it's those new golf clubs that promise to make you a better golfer. Hello? Y'all watch any of those TV commercials? Man, I do. I see Doug sitting out there. I got you. I got you. And so I don't know, you know, there's all these new drivers, and this driver is like amazing. And if you purchase that driver, you're going to be a better golfer. Like you'll probably be preparing for the tour, you know, because you're thinking this is going to put me over the edge. Those irons are better than any irons you could possibly put in your hand. What they don't tell you, it's probably not the club that's been your swing the whole time. You don't know how to swing the golf club. But it's that promise. 
And so what, you know what, you, so you buy into that. You buy into the promise of what owning that could possibly do for you. Or, or, or ladies, let me pick on you just a little bit. You know, maybe it's what that new dress promises. You know, that particular new dress, those skinny jeans will make you look skinny. Y'all didn't want to say it, but it's right, right? And so the thing of it is, you buy it. You buy what that product is selling, what they advertise. And so we end up in debt up to our eyeballs, all because we consume, 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 because of what having that new car, that new house, or those new golf clubs, or that new whatever has promised you, and we're drowning in a sea of debt. Let me tell you something else that you need to know. Because right now, everybody that's struggling financially, you're feeling really, really guilty, right? You are. You're thinking, oh, man, you got me. I knew we shouldn't have went to church today. I knew we should have slept late, had a little breakfast. We could have had family day today, you know. And Jesus would have been so proud because I was spending time with my family. And, and so you're thinking, man, I shouldn't have showed up. And like, So if you're not that person you're feeling really, really good about yourself, right? So you may never declare bankruptcy. I mean, you may never have overwhelming, you know, credit card debt. In fact, if we're just gut level honest, you probably could teach a class here at the church on how to manage your money. But your money still owns you. You know why? Because you're driven by fear. The fear of not having enough money. I, I knew a guy a few years ago. He was a young guy, not an old guy. I knew a young guy a few years ago, and he said, you know what, I, I just came up, I, we just came up really dirt poor. Our family never had any money, and so, I mean, he was very successful. He was successful at his day job, but he had several nighttime jobs, and I said, why do you push yourself so hard? He said, because I don't want, I don't want my children to grow up like I did. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I won't have enough money, right? And then when you, if you're getting older and, and you're starting to think about retirement, you're definitely asking that question. Do I have enough money? Have I saved enough money? And then the big question is always this, because this is what I asked this young guy. I said, well, how, do you, how much will be enough? And he said, I, I don't know. It's like a moving target somehow. You know, you get older and you're thinking about, you know, you're thinking about retirement. You're thinking about, well, how much money will actually be enough for retirement? And then we, I don't know. And so what you do is you hold on to your money with a tight fist, right? Because you're afraid that you won't have enough money. The interesting thing is, is the root cause for these, both problems, whether you just consume, 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 because of what that new whatever it is has promised you, or whether or not you have tons of money, but you just don't know if you have enough money, the root cause for both of those is the very same thing. And it's a word, to be honest with you, it's a word that we don't like. We don't like to talk about it, and I'll be honest with you, it's not easy to see in the mirror. It's easy to see with other people, not so much that you can see it in yourself. And it's the simple word, it's the word greed. Both are struggling with the same issue. It's greed. And greed's not hard, is it? It's not hard to understand. It's not mysterious. Greed, greed is simply an assumption. It's an assumption that whatever shows up in my checking account, whatever shows up in my savings account, whatever shows up in my 401K, whatever, whatever my bonus is, 
whatever my inheritance is. And you, can't, you have no idea the number of people I've talked to over the years about inheritance and, and other issues. And we just get so complicated. And the assumption is, is that whatever shows up in those particular accounts, whether I earned it and whether I put it there or whether it was a gift and somebody else gave it to me, the assumption is that it's all for me. The assumption is that it is all for my consumption. It's got a good beat. It's easy to dance to. Kind of rhymes, right? And so Jesus comes along, and this, this is why this will stop us dead in our tracks. You'll think, did you just say that? So Jesus comes along, and, he, and what he says is so countercultural, right? So Jesus looks at us, and he says, I'm going to tell you something. All your stuff, it's not your stuff. And you're saying, you, you've got the nerve. So you're telling me the money that I have in my checking account, the money that I have in my savings account, my 401K, my bonus, that inheritance, that gift. So you're telling me that that's not mine. It's the stuff that I worked so hard to acquire, and you're telling me that's not mine. And Jesus would say, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And how many of you, maybe right now, you're in church the first time thinking, I'm glad I haven't committed to Jesus. I'm glad like he doesn't have any authority over me right now. And if you are a follower of Jesus right now, you can't, like you don't have a valid argument, but you just want to stand up and say, mm, that can't be right. Actually, it is. It is right. And here's the tragedy. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this or not. Here's the tragedy. The tragedy is that it's a philosophy behind the thought, which is this. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. Are you with me? It's my stuff, and I better spend it or save it or whatever. I better do what I need to do because tomorrow we might die. And so it's party hard now. It's live for the moment. So you're living as if all there is to this life is just this life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't believe that at all. It's not what you believe. You don't believe that. In fact, you would, you know, we would say life is but a vapor. Life here on earth is, is like, it's like a dot maybe on the timeline of eternity. Maybe a dot, a dot that you would have to get some kind of huge microscope to be able to even see. You can't even see it with the naked eye. And so that's, that's what it is. And so but, but we live as though everything is based on that this life is the only life. Now, I love my life. I love my life with my wife. Y'all are really tense, aren't you? I can tell. I do, man. I love my life with my wife. I thank God every day for my life here on planet Earth. And if you ask me right now, are you ready to go to heaven? I would say yes. I would rather, like, not go today. Like, I'm, I got my ticket for the bus, but I'm going to get on the last bus. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I know heaven's going to be wow and all of that. But still, I mean, I love life here on Earth, but. I'm also hoping and praying and believing everything that I see in Scripture that this ain't it. I had a lot of pain on this side of eternity. I experienced a lot of hurt on this side of eternity. And while I love my life, I'm thinking, man, there's got to be something better. And then here's the thing. At some point in everybody's life, 
trouble just comes along. It just does. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not that guy. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to be the guy this morning that's going to say, give your life to Jesus and life will be perfect. I'm not going to tell you that because life is not going to be perfect. I'm not telling you that there's going to be tragedy, that you won't lose your job, uh, that you're not going to struggle. I won't tell you any of those things. I won't tell you that financially that you're going to you just give your life to Jesus and it's going to be you know, nothing but wealth for the rest. I'm not going to tell you that. I can't sell you that bag of goods and feel good about it with my theology. I can't. But what I can tell you is that life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. I can promise you that. And I can promise you that when trouble comes along, because it will come along, it's better with him than without him. And maybe trouble will come along that you created because you got out of control with your spending. And so maybe that's where some of you are right now. You know, you're just, man, you're just drowning in a sea of debt. And, and you feel the pressure every day. The bill collectors are calling and, and the credit card's going up. And you'll never pay it off. And maybe that's why you charge the way you do because you're just convinced there's no way we'll ever pay it off anyway. So we might as well just max that sucker out. Or maybe there's a financial trouble because that somebody else caused. I mean, maybe you got laid off or somebody lied to you. A partner, you know, took the money and run. But either way, here's what the people that I've met at least, whether you're religious or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all do the same thing when trouble hits. We pray. We pray. And so what we do is we pray and we ask God into our financial situation. We pray and ask God into our physical situation. I just got the news from the doctor, right? And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, and here's, here's what I've experienced a lot over the years with people that say, I'm not a Christian because you know what? Here's the thing. I, like, I got myself in a really big mess one time or I went to the doctor and they gave me that bad report or we went to the doctor and my husband got that bad report my wife got that bad report my mom whatever the case might be and so you know what we did we decided that we would pray and it was really just a test that's what it was and and if you're not a follower of Jesus you're thinking "Woo, you got me listen followers of Jesus are no different just so you know don't feel like I'm beating you up I know people that, that are followers of Jesus that would say that I'm a genuine follower of Jesus that really is, you know, like they're on the Titanic, you know. I mean, it's more like I'm just, I'm serving God out of name that I'm saying that I'm a Christian, but I'm really not doing what he says. I really don't care what he says until trouble comes. And then it's the big test. Okay, God, like are you going to show up or what? Here we go. And so I've known people who've looked at me over the years and said, you know what, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. I'll tell you why. Because I prayed one time, and I asked God to work a miracle for me, and he didn't, so I don't believe. Wow. Now, I hope that probably what happened just then is you heard me, if you, you listened to me go through that, you went, well, that's terrible. It is. But that's how a lot of us live, right? I needed a miracle. God didn't give me one. Therefore, I don't believe. Here's something else you need to think about. And this is really a tragedy. And, and you already, so many of you already know it to be true. Time's going to pass. And with the time that passes, no matter what you have, you will come to the conclusion that it isn't enough. 
So you consume, 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 consume. And with all of that consumption, you'll come, you'll say, I'm still discontent. No, no, there is no amount of stuff, there is no amount of money that will make you feel completely content. And you want to know why? Because it's an appetite. And what I've learned about my appetite is that it will only satisfy temporarily. Karen, uh, she says this to me a lot. Uh, she just doesn't understand. She and I have like the most phenomenal meal. You know what I'm talking about? The one that you planned, you look forward to all day. Like, I don't know about y'all, but you know, I mean, for me, it's like if we're going to grill steaks, I'm saving up. Am I the only one? I mean, I'm thinking I don't even have to eat today because for tonight, man, tonight we're going to have ribs. Tonight we're going to have steak. And then we think about everything that we want to go with that. And so we think about that. And so we have that big meal. And then, you know, a couple hours later, okay, then about an hour later, Okay, then about 15 minutes later, I'm, you know, I'm in the pantry. And, and Karen will say this to me. It happens all the time. She'll say, how could you possibly be hungry? You just ate. And you ate yourself silly. And I'll say, I'm not really hungry. <laughs> but I have an appetite. And I have an appetite. You know why I have an appetite? I have an appetite because there's like, 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 you know, I just picture this in my head. So I, I stick out my tongue. And so like all the taste buds, buds over here, the steak got that one, you know. And the baked potato got some of these over here and the salad and the dressing. And it got like this. But there's like that one little bitty taste bud somewhere at the back of my tongue. And he said, I want more. And so here, and you probably do what I do when you have that appetite. You go to the, the pantry and it, you make really bad decisions, don't you? Come on. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. Some of y'all out there, overeaters, just like I am. And so, you know, you go to the pantry, and then you think, well, I finished up with a piece of pie. Now I need something salty. <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only one, right? And so then you'll look, you'll say, I need some chips. I need to get me some chips, because that little old taste. But then you eat the chips, and you think, that wasn't quite it. I need to go back to sweet. And so then you get something sweet, and then here's the thing. So it, then you just have one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, and then nothing really satisfied. And then what ticks you off, right, when you're done, this is me, is I go, why did I do this? This is crazy. This is insanity. Because after all of this, I made really bad choices, and the weight that I lost, now I've gained, and plus five pounds, right? All because of an appetite. And then you hate yourself because you had all that junk. And the thing of it is, is that it, with all of that junk, it didn't satisfy. Because you have this appetite that we have for more, for something different. So Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Can't do it. You're gonna, you can't serve God and your stuff. You can't serve both God and your money. And then he says this, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, or what you'll wear. And we read that, honestly, I think we probably read that. I did, I've done this for years, I've read this passage, you've heard me preach on this text, and we kind of read that passage and we think, oh, we don't think a lot about that, because it doesn't apply to us, most of us. Most of us here this morning probably got up and had breakfast before we came to church. And if you didn't, you're still not worried, because you know you're going to eat right after church, right? 
Maybe some of you brought your stuff with you. So you got it in your purse. I know people do this all the time. You know, they have drinks down in their pocketbooks and they pull it out because we're the cool church and you can do that. You know, it's so y'all sit out there and just have lunch or breakfast, you know, and it's, and it's wrong that you'll do that in front of me and I can't have any, I'm just saying. But we look at this and this is like not a big deal to us so we just go over it. But it was a big deal if you lived in Palestine back in the day. And if you lived in Palestine back in the day, during this particular time period, you would understand that this is the very thing that occupied most people's minds most of the time. This is not a luxury item. We're not talking about going to the peddler here. That's not what we're, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about extravagant kinds of things. We're talking about the basic necessities of life. So, of course... You're going to worry about food and water. And clothing wasn't to have the, you know, the, 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 the most stylish robe. That's the, these, these were the kinds of clothes that protected them from the elements. So Jesus is saying this, look. And he wasn't being harsh. That's, that's not the language here. He wasn't being harsh. He said, look, I know that you, you think about this stuff all the time. And I know this is really important. And I know that your inclination is to worry about it. But I don't want you to worry about it. And here's the reason why. I don't want you to worry about it because that's what the pagans do. Now, the word pagans here, it's an interesting word. What it means is pagans were those people that were viewed by the Jews of worshiping other gods. And it was plural because there were tons of Greek gods so there were all of these gods, and, and they were saying, you know what, it's just silly. What Jesus was saying, it's just silly, because when you worry about things, you worry like those people who serve all of these other gods. And just so you know, I mean, these gods could care less about people, and everybody knew it. The thing that set these gods apart weren't their care for the people that, that served them. They manipulated people. They toyed with people. They weren't concerned about people at all. And so the pagans were constantly having to bribe their gods. And so they would sacrifice whatever. And, and you'll probably think about that. If you look at some passages in the Old Testament with, with Elijah, where, where literally, I mean, they, were, they would cut themselves, and they would holler, and they would scream, and they would dance, and they would do all of these things. And they had to holler, they had to scream, they had to shout, because that, they had to get the attention of their gods. And Jesus said, look, if you worry, you're living like them. You're living like the pagans who don't have gods that care anything about them. They run after these things, and they're never satisfied. And those things, just so you know, you have to go back and look at the passage. The moths eat their clothes, rats eat their food, and their gods could care less. And here's what Jesus said. Man, this is huge. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, your what? Heavenly what? Okay, I'm going to try it one more time. Your heavenly This, this whole idea of understanding the security that I have in Christ, 
that he's my heavenly father. Now, you know what I'm saying? God up in the heaven, God's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And if you know me, if you've been here at all, then you know that one of the things that I do every single morning is I go to a passage in, in Psalms. I go to a passage in Isaiah. I go to a passage uh, in the New Testament as well. And the reason that I do that is it helps me to focus on just how big God is, that he's large and in charge, you know? Who calls out the starry host and names each one by name? And by his mighty power and strength, not one of them is missing. And I focus on that, that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I look up as I'm taking Maggie out every morning, and I look up into the, to the sky, and I see the stars, and I go, wow, my heavenly Father did that. But then when I focus on my Father, is that he cares about me. I just don't serve some God, a God, one of the gods. I serve the God, and he is my heavenly daddy. I remember sharing this a few years ago when somebody got offended. You said, you said he's your heavenly daddy. That's right, because that's what the Bible teaches. He's my daddy. So intimate, so personal. So the primary issue is mastery, control, and ownership. So the question that Jesus is asking, and I'm just, let me just say, this was one of those questions, this, this was one of those statements where people went, ah, are you actually saying? He said, yeah, I am. So the question that Jesus is asking us this morning is, do you have your money or does your money have you? Do you own your stuff, or does your stuff, your possessions, come on, man, some of this is getting close to home for some of us, right? You've got a payment that dictates how you spend every dollar that you make. So do you own your stuff, or does your stuff own you? So if you're a follower of Jesus, when the smoke clears and you get past your religious verbiage, who really is your master? Who's the one in control? Jesus said, here's the thing. You, you, you can't have two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other. You'll love one, you'll despise the other. You, you can't have it both ways. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm just leaning in. And I have to answer the same questions, by the way. And let me just say, you know what? You feel really good about yourself, right? Sometimes you go, yes. And then all of a sudden you go, oh. a bigger hold of me than I really want to admit. So how about you? As a follower of Jesus, who's your master, really? If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the question I would ask you. So how, how, how is the master that you serve How's he treating you? I mean, literally, do you feel like you're enslaved? 
And every Monday morning, it's hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work I go because I don't have a choice. I, I can't be sick a day because I have so extended myself financially to these things that have promised. So I'm just saying, is, is your master delivering for you? Are the things that you sold out to? And if not, then here's what I want you to know. Oh my gosh. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is absolutely crazy about you. He loves you so much. You don't even know how much at this point. You just, you're just starting maybe your, your journey, you know, trying to figure out the whole Jesus thing, and you're starting. And I can tell you that God so loved the world. I, I know, a verse that you probably heard even as an unchurched person. But it's more than that. He so loved you. He so wants a relationship with you that he would, he would deal with the thing that stands between you and him, and that's your sin. Right? You've tried to be better, do better, but no matter how hard you try, it's never enough. All the things that you've served have not produced. And Jesus said, I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to do what you cannot do for yourself. I'm going to pay the penalty for all the sin. I'm, I'm going to deal with it. You can't. And so Jesus died on the cross. And he gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin. All of our sin. All of our past sin. All of our present sin. All of our future sin. He dealt with every bit of it on the cross. And then he was raised on the third day. And he said, look, I had victory over that. Somebody had to pay the price. I did. And what I want you to do now is just see me for who I am. That I, I love you. I don't need you. And if somebody tells you that, if you go to that church and they say, God needs you, that's a lie. What's God need us for? What are we going to do for God? He created everything that you see, everything that is, even the things that are at the deepest part of the deepest sea that we don't even know exist yet. God created every bit of that. So what are we going to do for God? Nothing. we got nothing to bring to the table, but i tell you what. God said, I don't, I don't need you. I want you. I want you. I want to be in a relationship with you so much that I gave my life on a cruel Roman cross and I'm alive and I'm ready to step into your life right now if you'll let me so if you're not a follower of Jesus every head is bowed and every eye is closed if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be then maybe you know you'd pray a prayer or something like this maybe you'd just say God it's, it's hard for me to even wrap my brain around that kind of love it's amazing what you do for me and I gotta be honest all this, these other masters that I've had in my life well, they haven't been very good I'm still empty I'm still broken I'm still hurt and I still have sin these issues of sin so Jesus, I'm coming to you humbly telling you that I believe. I believe you're alive and well. I thank you for dying on the cross for me, paying the penalty for my sin. And so right now, I'm just doing the best I know how to surrender my life to you. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want you to be my master. I want you to be the one in control. Thank you for your love. 
Lord, we do thank you for your love. You're amazing. You know, Lord, I can honestly say as I stand here this morning that I thought I loved you 30 years ago. I thought I loved you 35 years ago. I, I thought I loved you 40 years ago. You know, Lord, I, I thought I loved you five years ago. But Lord, to co- compare to how I feel about you now, it doesn't even compare, Lord, because the longer that I serve you, Lord, and the more that I know you, the more intimate that our relationship becomes. And God, I'm just so in awe of you. And Lord, it is, I gladly give up the rights to my own life to you. Because truth be told, I can trust you so much better than I can trust my own self with my own life. I thank you for your love, Lord. That's still amazing. And we love you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.